grace and mercy and peace be unto you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The text for today is from the Gospel of Luke, the parable of the prodigal son in chapter 15. Who here likes tongue twisters? I know that as a boy I used to love tongue twisters, and even as an adult they have given me the freedom to make a fool of myself without getting my feelings hurt. What do I mean? Well, when somebody says to you, well, say this ten times fast, and you can't, there really is no shame in it because admittedly, it is a hard thing to do. It is a time when you don't mind people having a laugh at your expense. More than a few years ago, I was traveling to a pastor's conference with my friends Jeff and Lee and Dave, and we had some laughs with one particular tongue twister that goes like this. You can try saying it, red glue, green glue, blue glue. Go ahead, give that a try. Red glue, green glue, blue glue. Yeah. <laughs> so it's tough to say. <laughs> yeah. Well, let me tell you, we had quite a few laughs at this conference listening to Jeff fumble his way through this silly little tongue twister. But we all have trouble saying things. We know one or two words that get caught in our mouths or in our brains when we try to say them. One I struggle with is sometimes I mix up cavalry, that is mounted soldiers, and calvary, the place where Jesus died. Try reading a prescription bottle sometimes, and you will find out there are many chemicals and drugs that we have unpronounceable names. So what is the hardest word to say in the English language, or maybe just the longest? The word is pneumal neutral microscopic silicovolcano coniosis, a lung disease that is caused by breathing certain particles. On February 23rd in 1935, the New York Herald Tribune reported, Pneumal neutral microscopic silical volcanoconiosis succeeded electrophotomicrographically as the longest word in the English language. Now that's a tough thing to say, certainly not a word we would use every day. But I know of something that is tougher than that. The very toughest thing for people to say to themselves and anyone around them. It's actually three words. I will spell it out for you. It is I am. W-R-O-N-G. I am wrong. There are many derivatives of this little phrase that are equally as hard to say, especially for me. The past tense, I was wrong. I made a mistake. It was my fault. I am to blame. I erred. I blundered. I failed. This is the hardest thing to say possibly in any language, and we are loath to admit when we are wrong most of the time. When someone has made a mistake, I've heard them excuse themselves by saying, well, I'm only human. That is true. As humans, we are broken and we are imperfect. But I have heard people use this as an excuse for their sin. Being created by God is no excuse for sin. David says, into sin did my mother conceive me. Sin was not part of God's plan, and sin has destroyed God's creation and was not originally attached to it. God did not create us with sin, but Adam in his disobedience caused this great fall into sin, and in my own brokenness and sin, I have continued it. God's creation was perfect, and we wrecked it. So being human is not an excuse for being sinful. In the text for today, we see a young man who demands from his father his inheritance. 
His father wasn't even dead yet, and this rude young man asks his father to give him what's coming to him. The father doesn't owe him. The boy was wrong in asking for it and feels no remorse. This boy doesn't even seem so attached to his family, for Scripture says, not long after that, he set off for a distant country where he squandered his wealth in wild living. This boy blew it. He was wrong to ask for the inheritance before his father was dead. He was wrong to leave the house so quickly and show that he loved himself more than his family. He was wrong to spend his inheritance on prostitutes or for his own sinful pleasure. He was wrong. And then what happened? He found himself in a tough situation. He was starving to death and had to hire himself out to one of the citizens of that country to feed the pigs. He even longed to eat what the pigs were eating, for he was dying. But as Scripture says, no one gave him anything. This boy hit the bottom. He hit rock bottom, and there was only one place for him to turn. His father. He came to his senses. He saw his sin. He admitted to himself, I was wrong. But it took for him to hit rock bottom before he realized it. How often do we have to hit rock bottom before we say those words to ourselves, I am wrong. Sometimes it takes near death or the death of someone we love before we realize that we are wrong to make that admission. Maybe the thief on the cross had never noticed before that he was wrong, but as he hung there on the cross with his life ebbing away, came to the conclusion that he was wrong and the only person that could bail him out, the only person that could save him, was Jesus. That may be the time when someone comes to their senses when they are at the bottom with no one to turn to. Even hardcore atheists have on their deathbeds asked me as clergy the very real question, does God have enough love for me even though I may have been wrong all my life? The boy in this parable comes to his senses and then does what most everyone does when they have come to the realization that they are wrong. They make confession. The boy was going to tell his father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. With his confession in his heart, he heads back to his father. Has someone ever wronged you? And you thought, I'll just wait. I will wait until they make their confession. They can say to me that they were wrong. I have done that. And when I came to my senses, I realized it and that I was as much to blame for holding grudge or thinking evil thoughts as the person who wronged me. I went to this person and made confession. And I said the next hardest thing to say after I am wrong, I said, I am sorry, please forgive me. The son in this parable is going back to the father to do the very same thing. But the father who is waiting and watching for the son's return sees the son and does not wait for the son's confession. The father doesn't hold a grudge. He rushes to him while he is still a long way off and he loves him. He has no conditions on this love. He simply loves him. The son does make confession, but you will notice that the father forgives him even before he's confessing his sins. The father doesn't let the son finish before he says, quick, bring the best robe, bring a ring, bring sandals, kill the fattened calf. The father in this parable, of course, is God, our father. He forgives us before we even admit and say those words, I am wrong. 
He calls us sons and daughters for the sake of His Son who died on the cross for us. No matter how many times we stray, no matter how many times we have sinned, God takes us back. He rushes to to meet us where we are in our sin, and He doesn't make us work as hired hands in His field, but calls us sons and daughters for the sake of His Son who died for all of our sins. The world looks at Christianity as foolishness, like saying a tongue twister that doesn't make any sense. God loves you doesn't make sense to them. Why would God take us back time after time? That seems foolish. Why would God make it so easy for us and so hard on his son in our place? That seems foolish. Yes, it seems foolish to the world, to those who are perishing But to us who are being saved, it is the very power of God. The world looks at this parable of the prodigal son and says that father is a fool to take his son back after all he did. But for us, this parable reminds us that God takes us back time after time, every time, for the sake of him who died on the cross for all of our sins and gives us life everlasting. Amen. And now let us pray. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in and through Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen. Hi, Pastor Sai here. I hope this message was encouraging for you. At Riverbend Lutheran Church, our goal is to support Christians in their daily walk with God and in proclaiming the love of Christ to a lost and broken world. We're a small and inviting congregation welcoming any and all who are sinful, hurting, seeking, or simply broken. Whether you're already a Christian and are looking for a church home or you're undecided about your faith and looking for answers, you are welcome here. We have a number of programs for all ages and walks of life. Sunday mornings we have worship followed by educational programs for all ages. Please join us. For more information, you can visit us online at www.riverbendlutheran.com, call us at 780-430-7382, or email me at pastor at riverbendlutheran.com. Better yet, stop in for a visit. Until then, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord look upon you with his favor and grant you his peace.